everyone. I hope you're really well this week. Welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer, and more alive, whatever that looks like for you. So maybe this podcast is going to inspire you to look at your health and self-care. Maybe it's thinking about your career and making work work for you. Maybe it's looking at your relationships or your relationship with yourself and finally addressing that inner critic and making a commitment to being kinder to yourself. So I chat to all sorts of well-being experts and game changers to help you become your healthiest, happiest and most alive version of you because that is what I think is the most inspiring thing to become for our children. For this week's episode, I just wanted to tell you a little bit more about Family Album, the family-focused photo-sharing app that I'm sure you have noticed has been supporting the podcast. One of the things that I really, really love about the app is the one-second movies. So the app automatically takes one-second clips from the movies that you've uploaded and creates and compiles them into a short movie. And I've just been sat here watching the latest one of Jesse from the past couple of months, and it's so beautiful. So I've just been sat here sobbing, but also pregnancy hormones. And I know that our family absolutely love it as well whenever they see a new movie in the app. So Family Album is the app to share and enjoy the everyday moments with your family, wherever they are. I'd love you to give it a try. Let me know what you think. Download it from the App Store or wherever you get your apps. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Motherkind podcast. I hope you are all really well. It's me, your host, Zoe Blasky. This week is a particularly deep subject. I know we cover many, many, many deep subjects on the podcast because this week is with Mark Willen and Mark is one of the world's leaders in inherited family trauma. And I got to know Mark and his work through his book called It Didn't Start With You, how inherited family trauma shapes who we are and how to end the cycle. And it was the last part of that title, How to End the Cycle. I just grabbed the book and devoured it because if you know me and you listen to the podcast or you follow me on Instagram, a huge passion of mine is how we can stop these generational cycles of dysfunction, pain and trauma. So Mark actually specializes in this. He specializes in working with people who are presenting with depression, anxiety, OCD, fears, panic disorders and chronic pain. So as you know, I have tracked back many, many, many generations in my own family on both sides, on my maternal and my paternal side. And I have seen the level going back, I think seven or eight generations I've done now of trauma, addiction, dysfunction and pain. And you know, a huge part of my work and what I'm passionate about and what I live in my own life day to day and I teach and I try to talk about on the podcast is healing all this stuff so that we don't repeat it onto our children. I don't think there's anything more important to be doing in this life than that. So this is a deep episode. I think it might be a challenging episode for many of us. I know when I was listening, there were points where I was taking in some 
intakes of breath, but I hope that it's going to potentially give you another perspective on some challenges that you may be facing in your own life. And what I love about Mark, not only was his energy incredibly calm and kind, he's also quite practical when he's talking about how you know if you have this trauma or this pain that actually isn't yours, how to heal it so that you don't transmit it onto your children. These are massive topics, but I think he does a really good job of making it accessible. That's my intention anyway, always, is that we tackle these big topics, we are brave and we look within, but that we do it gently and kindly and accessibly. So I really hope I've achieved that with this episode. As always, let me know. Let's continue the conversation over on Instagram, motherkind underscore Zoe. Also, if you go to the website, I have really upped my game with the show notes. So there you will find a full set of timestamps at what point in the episode we talk about what elements. You'll find a full transcript of the episode. So if you want to go back and read what Mark was saying, I think this might be one of those episodes where you might want to do that. Then that's all there, motherkind.co. Here's the episode. I hope you enjoy it. So Mark, welcome to the Motherkind podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you for having me, Zoe. I'm glad to be here. I have to say, I absolutely love your work and it's a real passion of mine. Trauma, particularly generational trauma, how we heal from it and how it gets passed down the generation. So I'm really excited to be having this conversation. How did you get into this work? Did you get into it because of your own traumas or were you interested because you had none? (laughs) Quite the opposite. I like many of us, I had symptoms that I couldn't explain. I lived with a mystery. All my younger years, I had anxiety and depression, oh, as far back as I could remember. And then about 28 years ago, it began to manifest physically. I began to lose the vision in one of my eyes. And I was diagnosed with a chronic form of retinopathy, and the doctors couldn't cure it. And then because of the way it was progressing, They said I'd likely lose the vision in my other eye as well. And I was desperate because here I was 30 years old and thinking that I'd go blind. And I had a feeling there was something at the root, but I had no idea what it was. So I went on a search for healing. And Zoe, this search literally took me around the globe as far as Indonesia where I learned from several wise teachers who taught me some fundamental principles that were not taught in school or in our society, one of which was the importance of healing my relationship with my parents, which was pretty broken. But before I could do that, I had to heal what stood in the way, though I didn't know it at the time. I would come to learn It was inherited family trauma, specifically the anxiety that I had inherited from my grandparents, all of whom were orphaned in some way. Three of them lost their mothers when they were babies or toddlers, and the fourth lost her father when she was one, so ultimately she lost her mother's attunement. And this anxiety, this was the real cause of my vision loss. Just like my parents, who were the children of orphans, I had inherited this feeling of being broken from a mother's love. And this was what was passed down in my family. I remember, I think I'm five years old, a small boy. As soon as my mom would leave the house, I'd be panicked and I'd run into her room and I'd open her drawers and I'd 
cry into her scarves and in her nightgowns thinking that I'd never see her again and that her smell would be the only thing that I had left, which would have been true for my grandparents. You know, their mothers die and all they would have had left would have been a garment or a sweater or a blanket with her smell. Forty years later, I shared this with my mom. I said, you know, mom, when you would leave, I would cry into your clothes. And she looked at me and said, oh, honey, I did that too, when my mother would leave the house. And then my sister reading the book, she said the same thing. She said, honey, I cried into mom's clothes when she'd leave the house. And all of a sudden, I realized that it was a family pattern, a generational pattern of the mother leaving and thinking that she's gone for good. And then after healing the broken bond that I had with my mom, my vision came back, my eyesight came back. And then afterwards, I felt compelled to share these principles that I had learned. Ultimately, I ended up developing a method for healing the effects of inherited family trauma. Wow, it's such an incredible story, isn't it? I get goosebumps, you know, I got goosebumps when I read it and goosebumps when I heard it again then. And your sight now is totally restored. Yes, it's much better. I still have some of the scarring. The one eye isn't as brilliantly clear as the other, but it's clear. I can see. Uh, And before, all I had was a big, dark blot of black, you know, like a ball in front of the center of my eye where it blotted out people's faces. I couldn't see road signs. I couldn't see faces. Now I can. Wow. So... You mentioned anxiety being one of the manifestations of this. And anxiety is at an all-time high where we are in the UK. And a lot of listeners will experience anxiety. How do we know whether the anxiety we are experiencing is because of generational or inherited trauma? Or if it's just anxiety from the stress of being a modern mother, how do we know the difference and therefore which healing route we should go down? There are definitely some signs when we are carrying inherited trauma. Now, we can be born with an anxiety or a depression and never separate it from the events of the previous generation. Plus, we can have inherited our mother's broken relationship with her mother, our father's broken relationship with his mother, or we have our own broken relationship from events that took place in utero or when we're infants But we can also experience a fear or a symptom that strikes suddenly or unexpectedly when we reach a certain age, say age 30, when our parents split up and all of a sudden we look at our partner and we don't make the connection. And all of a sudden at 30, we say, my partner no longer does it for me. Or it's the same age grandma became a widow and never had another partner. And we don't connect this. So it can be an age or we hit a certain milestone or an event in our lives. For example, let's say we get married. In the book, you probably remember I talk about these sisters that are they are from an Arabic culture. I think they're either Lebanese or Iraqi. I forget. But I talk about this one sister who loves her husband, this guy. She loves this guy dearly. And she marries him and she knows she's married the right guy but as soon as she marries him she feels trapped and she can't explain it so she came looking for help and when we looked at her family history we saw that both grandmothers had been given away as child brides 
one at nine and the other at 12, to much older men in their 40s and 50s. And then we saw that the trauma expressed differently in each of her sisters. Her other sister marries a much older man, 30, 40 years older, and then the third sister refused to get married at all because she didn't want to have that trapped feeling. So getting married could be one of those triggers, one of those events, one of those milestones. Another one could be moving to a new place, Zoe. For example, we just move across the country or across town, and suddenly we become depressed. But we don't link it. You know, depressed like our ancestors that were persecuted and forced out of their homeland. Or another trigger is we get rejected by our partner And maybe we only dated this person for two months, but the grief is overwhelming. The grief is, you know, insurmountable, and it takes us back to a much earlier grief, maybe when we had a break in the attachment with our mom. But here it is coming out in our broken relationship. Or here's one where, you know, the show's about moms, and another one of these events is we're fine until we go to have a child. And then all of a sudden... It's as though there's this ancestral alarm clock that starts ringing inside of us. I once worked with this woman who was consumed with anxiety, and she didn't connect it. I said, since when? She said, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just anxious all the time. And I said, go back and tell me when it started. And she said, seven months ago. And I said, so what happened seven months ago? She goes, well, that's when I became pregnant. And so one of the questions you remember in my book is, what's your worst fear? And I asked that question, or I said, so what's the worst thing that would happen if you're a mom? And she said, I'll harm my baby. And then I asked her if she or anyone else had harmed a baby, and she said no. And then she said, oh, my God, my grandmother is a young woman. She lit a candle And the curtains caught on fire, and then the house caught on fire, and the baby was upstairs, and she couldn't get the baby out. And then she said, but we were never allowed to talk about it because, you know, you didn't want to hurt grandma. You walked on eggshells around grandma because you could never bring up this trauma. And in that moment, she made the link that she had inherited that terror from her grandmother. And after that, we were able to break the pattern. So fascinating. You hear it an awful lot around anxiety and in mothers and new mothers in particular. And that's such a powerful story. You know, it sounds like she could make that connection. I don't know how many sessions that was to make that connection. But what does someone do if they can't make those connections for themselves? Maybe, you know, in my family, there's a lot of secrets. I feel like there's so much I still don't know. I wouldn't necessarily know about some of the traumas that have happened in my family. What does someone do then? Because you talk about in the book that often these traumas are the things that we're not allowed to talk about. That's a great question because a lot of times we don't have information about our family history because we're either adopted or our parents are gone or our parents don't talk or there's secrets that are kept. But this information, as you read in the book, it lives in our trauma language. It lives in the verbal language and the nonverbal language. It's in our fears. It's in our unexplained symptoms. It's in our self-sabotaging behaviors, our destructive behaviors. It lives in the symptoms of our illness in our relationship struggles, in the repeated ways we deal with money 
and success. So we don't even need to know what happened. All we need to do is become a detective of our symptoms, a detective of our trauma language. And we can trace it back in the family history because we'll have heard a story that was maybe told once. Or we won't know what happened, but we'll kind of have a feeling because nobody talks about our mom's mother. So we can still do the healing work. Zoe, as you read, we're born into these feelings. As infants, we don't enter the world with a clean hard drive. I like to use a computer analogy in a sense. It's as though we have this operating system that's already in place that contains the fallout from our parents' traumas, our grandparents' traumas. And then we're born with fears and feelings that don't always belong to us, but they live in our behaviors, in our symptoms, in our fears, in our anxieties, in our depressions, and in our trauma language. When you say trauma language, can you break that down for people that might not have heard that phrase before? Absolutely. So remember I talked about that woman who was anxious and consumed with anxiety. And when I said to her, when did it start? She said, seven months ago. And then she said her trauma language was, I'll harm my baby. Yep. So this is significant. Because I've discovered that when a trauma happens in the family, it leaves clues behind. Clues in the form of emotionally charged words and sentences that form a breadcrumb trail. That when we know how to follow it, it can lead us back to one of these events in our family history. And then when we know how to uncover our unconscious language, this trauma language, and link it to the original traumas, even if they're sketchy, we're not sure exactly what happened. But once we know in us what we carry, it sort of builds the picture. It's like finding the missing piece of the puzzle that lets the whole picture come into view and then gives us a context for explaining why we feel the way we feel. And then this trauma language, as we know from trauma theory, when a traumatic event happens, the information of the trauma, significant information, bypasses the frontal lobes. So the experience of exactly what happened to us can't be named or ordered through words or language. It's like our language centers become compromised, which they do. We either remember too much or too little. And then without language, the experiences of the trauma are stored as fragments of language or fragments of memory or fragments of body sensations, or fragments of images, or fragments of emotion. It's like the mind disperses, and the essential elements get separated. You know, we lose the story, and then all we have left are these emotional fragments, or these emotional sensations. We never complete the healing. So what I teach people to do in the book is to become a detective of our trauma language, and gather this language together, the pieces of the puzzle, so that we can link it together and connect the dots. In my trainings, I say that we need to bring together what's been lost or separated, or we need to separate out what doesn't belong to us. For instance, that woman who had the anxiety, she needed to separate out her grandmother's terror from her feelings. They weren't her feeling. She was carrying her grandmother's story in her experience, but it wasn't her experience. And we also need to integrate 
what needs to be integrated, which might be the small fragmented child part of us that never integrated. And can we do this healing? So it sounds like the first part of the healing is around the understanding and the acceptance and the awareness. And the next stage of the healing, and I, I know this because obviously I've studied your work, but for those listening who haven't, can you explain what the next stage of the healing is? Yes, absolutely. Because I feel like I've only given the bad news and that we're all in the same boat and it's sinking. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I'm aware of that. 18 minutes in, we need to share some hope. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a lot of good news right now. In the book, I talk about the research now is going toward reversing trauma symptoms. And they can do this in mice and the implications are vast. So they can cause adversity to little mice. And the reason they use mice is because mice and humans share a similar genetic makeup. Over 90% of the genes in humans have counterparts in mice with over 80% of them being identical. So they can separate baby mice from their mothers and then see the DNA expresses differently for three generations. So the little mice might exhibit behaviors like depression, but now they're discovering that they can take those depressed mice and put them in positive, low-stress environments. And technically, it inhibits some of the enzymes that cause DNA methylation or histone modifications, which are some of the mechanisms that cause these repetitions. And when they take the mice and they put them in these positive environments, basically, we stop the trauma response. And I'll talk about that in a minute. The behaviors improve. And the changes in the DNA prevent the symptoms from being transmitted to the next generation. In other words, the sperm that is able to carry the epigenetic signature of fear or trauma stops carrying that fearful signature or that traumatic signature that passes into future generations. And mice aren't the only ones that benefit from positive experiences. It's how we heal from inherited trauma. You and I, your listeners, We've got to calm the brain's stress response, whether we've inherited it or whether the trauma happened to us as infants. To heal, we've got to have a new experience that can change our brain, an experience powerful enough that it can override the stress response. And then the last step is we've got to practice it. We need to practice the new feelings and the new sensations associated with this positive experience. And then in doing so, we create new neural pathways. We stimulate the release of feel-good neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine. We even stimulate the release of feel-good hormones like estrogen or oxytocin. And even the genes, the very genes involved in that stress response can begin to function in an improved way. These new experiences that I'm talking about, Zoe, they can be receiving comfort and support, like I talk about in the book, how we can receive comfort and support from the parents that wounded us or the grandparents that left or, you know, wherever the trauma caused a paucity of love, we turn that around and can begin to feel things like compassion or gratitude or loving kindness or generosity or even in our practices of mindfulness, feeling support or peace or strength or anything really 
that can feed the prefrontal cortex and help us reframe that stress response. So it is a chance to downregulate. So it is a chance to calm down. Ultimately, the idea is to pull energy away from the midbrain, pull traction away from the limbic brain, the amygdala, and bring engagement to the forebrain, specifically the prefrontal cortex, where we can integrate these new positive experiences. And our brains can change and we can heal. Do those positive experiences have to relate to the family that caused, quote unquote, the trauma? Because you talk a lot about linking to compassion. So it'd be good to understand that. Do we have to forgive in order to do the healing or can we do the healing whilst we're still feeling maybe some resentment or hurt or anger towards our family? Yes. As I say in the book, healing is mostly an inner movement. The reconciliation is an inner movement. In the book, I call it an inside job. And, you know, one of the things that we can do, let's say we know we have a broken bond with our mom. We know we do. The attachment's broken. She was drinking. Dad and mom were separating. She lost the baby before us, so she couldn't attune during the pregnancy. Let's say there's a hundred things that were happening, and we still can't have a good relationship with our mom in real life. While we're healing that in our inside world, we can still put a photograph of our mom over our left shoulder, over our pillow at night, and we can talk to the photograph. We can imagine we're talking to our mom's higher self or that this conversation is being guided by forces that have our best interests. We can say something like, Hey, mom, hold me when I'm sleeping and heal the break and the bond between us. And we could even say something like, teach me how to trust your love, how to receive it, and how to let it in. And if we were little kids who took care of our mom's feelings, we could even add the sentence, teach me how to trust your love, how to receive it, and how to let it in without taking care of your feelings without taking care of you, just receiving. Because many of us can't receive from our parents, and we can't receive then from our partners. And we become givers, givers, givers. And maybe we even give too much and destroy our own relationships because we never learned how to let in, to take in, and to receive. And let me check my understanding of this. This is because to move these to consciousness, to the prefrontal cortex, our brain doesn't know the difference between doing that to an imaginary mother and doing that to our real mother. Is that right? Absolutely. You know, as I mentioned in the book on numerous times, when we visualize the healing, it's the absolute same as if that healing is happening in real life. The same regions of the brain, the same neurons activate as though the healing were happening right there with our mother. So if we use the photograph, our brain doesn't know how the healing's happening. It's just happening. Even if we're witnessing healing in real life with mirror neurons, even if we're witnessing another person heal, the same regions of the brain, the insula, the audiocortex, activate The brain's a very interesting, supportive organ, and healing can happen at any time. So the reason I tell people, yes, if you can't heal with your mom in real life, 
please use the photograph and ask that this healing happen. Set your intention as you go to sleep at night because that's a potent time for neuroplastic change, that she is holding you and that she's healing this break in the bond. I even tell people to try to get a photograph during that early time when you were a baby, a photograph of her holding you, and then visualize that it's being guided by a higher force. And then as you're witnessing what's happening in your body, that's where the positive sensations come in. So you ask this question as you're doing it, what am I noticing right now? What am I experiencing at the level of energy and sensation? What is happening right now? And then focus on the qualities of sensation or temperature or color or vibration or energy. For example, my heart is softening. I can feel the pulse. There's a warmth in my belly. I'm noticing the color purple. All these things are the sensations that I talked about earlier that heal the brain. Does someone have to do this with the quote-unquote source of the trauma? So I'm thinking maybe about someone who may have gone through horrific abuse and can't even bear to look at a photograph of their abuser. What would someone do then? Someone would do then would have a practice of compassion for themselves or I'm going to go back to the parent or for what happened behind the parent that blocked their love and made the parent a monster. They don't even need to practice with the parents at all. They could just practice gratitude. For example, Oprah was always telling us to have a gratitude practice. But what we're really learning about gratitude is it feeds the prefrontal cortex or a practice of generosity, doing something nice for themselves or for someone else each day or a practice of loving kindness. So the reason I mention and I keep mentioning the parents, and it doesn't make me popular because a lot of people want to hold the anger because it forms an identity and a safety. It forms a safety of keeping the anger and resentment alive. But you and I know that resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It holds both people hostage. So ultimately, when we can, we want to heal those relationships by looking behind the parent and seeing ultimately that it wasn't personal, that any little baby in our birth order would have experienced the same trauma from the parent whose love was blocked because they didn't get enough from their parent. And the only reason I mention this is what's unresolved with our parents is a template for our other relationships. I talk about this on the podcast so people will know this, but this was such a seminal point in my healing is when I understood more about what my parents' childhoods were like and what my grandparents' childhoods were like. And the moment I understood that, the compassion just poured through because I realised both of them did an incredible job given the amount of trauma that they were both carrying. As you say, it really poured compassion over any resentment that I had. It was a very, very big moment, big healing moment. I hear that. What you're describing is the healing movement. Yeah. That is compassion. As soon as I looked at what blocked the love, 
I could feel this compassion flooding me. It was a game changer. Absolutely my experience. But as you say, I had to do quite a bit of work to even want to get there. Early on in my healing, I definitely had that victim mentality as I stepped into awareness. So I was very unconscious. As I became conscious of my trauma, of my pain, of what I wasn't given, I stepped into anger for sure. And I stayed there for a few years. Um, But really what unlocked the healing was, as you say, letting go of all of those resentments and realizing that it utterly was not personal, as you say. And my parents did this incredible job given their childhoods and given their grandparents' childhoods. So can we do this on our own? Or do we need a therapist to hold the space for us? And if so, I know I'm going to get flooded with messages of people saying, how do we do this? So if someone's listening and maybe they've never had therapy Can we do this on our own? I know there's a huge self-healing movement at the moment. Do you prescribe to that? Or do you think we need someone like yourself or a trained expert to help us? It depends on who we are and how we integrate and how we regulate. And it depends on our inner gifts, in a sense, and our inner tools and the work that we do. So some people who just read my book, it's three phases. The first phase is I teach people how to be a detective of this trauma language, verbal and nonverbal. Then I teach people how to do their genogram, the traumagram, and trace back into the family to find out where things went south. And then the third part of the book is filled with exercises and practices that feed the prefrontal cortex so we can heal. Some people reading the book alone can do it. Some people on their own, as you say, there's a big movement right now in self-healing, and some people very well can. And others of us need to find somebody else who can witness it and hold the space and in some ways become the family hippocampus, you know, to hold the trauma pieces for us so we can come back together into one. Yeah, so the answer is it depends. Yeah, and I'll share my experience because it might help listeners is that, you know, I did a lot of the detective work and the genogram, as you say, in 12-step. I did that in my 12-step recovery. But what I needed was someone to validate. So as you say, my memory is very sketchy. I needed someone to say, yeah, to me, what you're saying, I really needed someone to validate my experiences and my feelings at that point because I'd never really had that experience. I was the only one still am to some extent who'd done any type of healing across the whole family so that's where it was really helpful for me actually to have someone and actually the first person I went to wasn't trained in trauma but just was able to validate those experiences for me that's what I needed absolutely Zoe absolutely it's always a good idea to double check ourselves by bouncing off somebody that can hold the space and witness and hear and feedback and actually hold those trauma pieces that have been fractured and shattered in a way till we come back together again. So please, you just told your story. Mm, Well, I'm very open with it because I think it's, as you said, right up front, we're not taught this in school. It has been for generations, a silent suffering. That's changing with people like yourself and some other incredible people, many whom I've had the honour to speak to, but it's changing. But that's why I'm so passionate about talking about it and being part of this conversation, because it would have made a 
huge difference to me had this type of content been available when I was younger. Exactly. And, you know, when I'm told that I have to go home and heal my relationship with my parents, these wise masters kept sending me back. They said I'd get to the front of a line after a whole day of meditating and standing in line at an ashram and getting to the top and having the spiritual teacher look at me. And I'm thinking I'm going to be told that I'm a good meditator. And instead, I'm told, go home and heal your relationship with your parents. It was not a better roses. You know, to go home wasn't easy to do that. I remember walking up the driveway, and I know that I have to heal this broken attachment with my mom, but I remember the feeling that when she would hug me, I'd feel like I was going to explode. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to heal this? She's going to hold me, and I'm going to turn to steel. And that's exactly what happened. I walked up the driveway, and she put her arms around me, and I thought I was going to go off like a grenade. And instead... I had enough mindfulness practice at the time to say, Mom, don't stop. Keep holding me. Because I wanted to learn inside my body what my body was doing, where this feeling of implosion and explosion originated. And following it was very helpful, very useful. Yeah, that's so interesting, isn't it? Because the tendency when we have any uncomfortable feeling around this type of thing is to want to numb and run which again comes back to the conversation we just had previously about having someone in our lives who can support us, I think, with this work. And just finally, we're coming to the end, but there's a school of thought that we do the healing work, as we've been talking about this whole episode, and we are healed and free. And then there's a school of thought, which is, no, 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 healing work is a continual day-by-day, ongoing, lifetime journey. Where do you sit on that continuum? I'm in the second school. I'm in the school that we heal continually. And, you know, the old onion theory, that we continue to open and more pieces become revealed. And then other places for letting the light in seep through the cracks. And I always think that even though we've done a lot of healing work, the ghost of our old pattern, the vestiges still remain in a way to keep us honest, in a way to keep us real. And that it's ongoing. That's my experience too. I often say I'm sort of only one day away from being back to exactly where I was before. It's a minute by minute choice for me, actually, this healing work. And sometimes it does come down to that hour by hour, you know, if I'm really feeling something, not to pick up those old behaviours. And I think some people can find that overwhelming, that idea that this is a lifetime journey. I find it exciting, but... I guess that's just the different lens that we can put on it. So I always ask the same question at the end of every interview, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? Well, because it's for mothers in specific, mothers with children, I would like to see them able to receive from their mothers so they don't have blind spots or black holes in the giving to their children, places that they can't enter because they're too uncomfortable. So the gift I would give for mothers is the ability to receive from their own mothers so that there's a place to lean back and let in so that when they pass forward to their children, there's more freedom, less fear, 
and more wholeness. That's beautiful. Wouldn't that be a gift? Gosh. It's not easy because what we find, you know, I'm a believer that trauma is not a bad thing per se. It's, it's how we seek our expansion. In the contraction is the seed of the expansion. And the traumas keep repeating until that expansion is able to be released. You know, there's the movement of surrender. There's the movement of expansion. Both are inherent in the contraction of the trauma. So it's not easy what I'm saying for the listener who has that broken relationship with the mother. How do I heal when she did this to me? Well, when we look behind her, we see that it wasn't personal. She did this because she herself couldn't do better, didn't have the resources, had the blind spots. But when we can face, as you said earlier, Zoe, what's uncomfortable and say, Mom, I'm ready. I'm ready to take in. Instead of not taking in the way we want it or think it needs to be, but even taking in just to what is. If your mother were a faucet that flows at 100% when you turn her on, but our mother only flows at 2%, can we put our cup under those two streams and still fill the cup? If the only way our mother can love is by cooking, can we let her cook for us? If the only way our mother can love is by giving money, can we take that money and let it be a form of love? If the only way our mother can love is just by walking with us, can we visualize that walk as a journey, as an opening? Can we take it as it is, not as we expect it? And can we let ourselves heal what's past so we don't have to bring it into the present and future? Mm, that's so beautiful. And you know, I just have to comment, that's absolutely part of my healing. The moment that I stopped expecting my parents to be any other way than they are and just allowed them to show love in the best way that they can. You know, one way that my mum shows love for me is she loves to repair my clothes. I can't sew. And she loves to take my clothes and repair them for me. And I know that there's so much love in every stitch. You know, that's, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we won't sit and have deep and meaningfuls about this sort of stuff, but that's not where we're at, you know? So I just let her show love exactly as you say, the best way that she can. And there's some beautiful healing to be had there. Well, thank you so much. I've absolutely adored our conversation. Where can people learn more about your work? They can go to my website, markwoolin.com, W-O-L-Y-N-N.com, or they can find me on Facebook, or Twitter or Instagram, but on Facebook, it's Facebook slash Mark Willin, where I list all the newest epigenetic studies and all the current research. They can do trainings with me if they are drawn in that way. I teach in Europe and Australia and in the States and in Canada. I have a little bit of a waiting list, but I do do one-on-one -on -one sessions. Ah, oh, that's good to know. Fantastic. And presumably people can find people that have been trained by you as well. Yes. Great. Okay. Well, thank you so much. It's been a joy and an honor. Zoe, thank you for having me. I enjoyed our conversation. Oh, me too. So that's it. 
Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.